Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Everybody awake? All right. Well, what a weekend we had last weekend. I, I really am grateful for what Audrey shared because now looking back, I regret I didn't send out a little note to the church following that weekend just to be on high alert for what's about to come because whenever God moves through a place and he touches people's hearts, it arouses his enemy to try to quickly undo a good work which God has begun. And I think the enemy knows that the best way to thwart the work of God is to scramble it up before the cement hardens, before you get too far down that road. And so if you have already struggled this past week, have lost some of that love and feeling, don't despair. I think what Pastor Frank prayed for us just now is so important that we don't create spiritual momentum by ourselves, but that we look at and behold Christ And we surrender ourselves to him. And he takes us to the places we need to go. I I really loved the messages that Pastor Seth brought. I was inspired. It's rare that I get to sit under teaching. And when I do, I always get something out of it. But I also learned a little bit about preaching. I'm going to use a few of his tricks. Because I've forgotten how much you guys like videos. I used to use a lot more video. And I've stopped. You know, just because I like to preach the word, you know. But... You all want to watch TV, so uh, I'll make a little use of video as well today. Um, But I really loved how he had life applications at the end as well. That's something I'm learning. So I just had a great weekend experience. Uh, The Lord is just so good. I want to return now this morning to the series we started in the very first Sunday of the year. That's the series called Life-Changing Conversations. It's this idea that God does not just want us to be little spiritual religious salespeople for him, running around trying to win people. We're not a religious Amway movement trying to sign up people for our downstreams and things like that. It is about having real conversations with people so that they discover the same Savior who has revealed himself to us. And so when we say life-changing conversations, I think the starting point is not a religious conversation, but simply just having a conversation at all. For as digitally connected as we are, think about how weird you feel the minute a stranger tries to talk with you, right? If you're, if you're a dude, your first thought is, whoa, what's up, man? What do you want? You trying to sell me something? If you're a woman, you're like, uh-uh, I'm already taken, you know, like, stop it. There's a lot of suspicion we have. We put our buffers way out there, and it's hard even to just get a friendly conversation going with a stranger these days. So one of the first steps of having life-changing conversations is just to learn how to have conversations. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, I hate to pick on the teenager. You guys especially, you have grown up in a, in a, a generation where you're so connected. But whenever I try to nudge my kids, go talk to that guy. Doesn't he go to your school? And they're like, that would be so weird because it's so random. I don't know this person. Why would I just... It's this idea that the the idea of just striking a conversation up with someone I don't know is anathema to us. And I don't know how we're going to reach the world if we can't have a conversation with another human being. So we're going to return to that. And I want to read for you 
from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. If you can flash, the, the guys, can you flash that up on the screen for us? So this is Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10 in the NIV. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. That's the word of God. Now, there's so much that could be said from this passage, but I want to look at this familiar passage this morning from just one vantage point, through the lens of noticing the people around us, through this lens of taking note, paying attention to just who's around us. And I want to set up the first point with the video clip that I want to play for you guys. Why don't we check out this video?
you guys go ahead and fade that out. I don't know how much of that we can watch. <laughs> you know, that video, when I first saw it, I thought it was totally staged and there were extras for the prank walking by because they're staring right at the poster and then walking past the kid. And it, it just reminds me that it's really possible to miss things that are right out in front of your face. I mean, to, to take the time to pause and study the poster and walk past the very kid, and he's, I think he was wearing the same clothes. It was like shot that day, and to walk past him. Did you notice another thing? Some of the people had an inkling. They were like, that's a little, but then they looked back, they looked back, and then just kept going. So even when you notice, it's possible to notice and keep moving on. And so that video speaks a lot of things. But one of the things was that I think there's a lot we don't see. We're very aware of what we have seen. And when I meet with people and we talk about things, there, there is a great memory for all that I did notice. But I wonder what's happening right under our noses that just went completely over our heads. We just completely had no idea what somebody is going through right in front of us. One of the things I really admire and love about Jesus is that whether he was with crowds or whether he was sitting down one-on-one, Jesus had this way of noticing people. He was always making it a practice to pay attention to the people around him. On one occasion, he was preaching to these large crowds, thousands of people, and it says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, most Sundays I preach to a couple hundred people, but I had one occasion to preach in front of a crowd of about 3,300 in a stadium, and it freaked me out like crazy. I had lights on me. The band Cutlass opened for me. That was a little freaky. And then I stood up there, and I'm like, I don't even know how to feel about this. It was such a foreign experience, and I was looking out at the audience, And all I saw were pixels. They weren't even human beings. It just looked like background scenery. And as I was looking at that crowd, I just was overwhelmed by the size of the crowd, the noise of the crowd, the energy of the crowd. But it never occurred to me to notice what the mood of the crowd was, what what was happening. Was there a sense that I had spiritually about where the crowd was at? I was so overwhelmed by standing in front of a large crowd that all I could think about was my experience. And the crowd was background scenery to me. Jesus is speaking to thousands, but he takes the time to notice the state of heart, the condition of the people in this crowd. And he's sensitive enough to realize that there is a spiritual agitation about these people. That it's not just the normal, noisy murmurings of a large crowd, but that he looks at this crowd and he picks up that something is not quite right. These people seem to him very much in need of some care. And so he begins to talk, and he begins to talk in a way that I really believe addresses where that crowd really was. There's something about Jesus that just takes note of people. I don't think anybody really enjoys listening to a sales pitch. How many of you guys like hearing a sale? How many of you guys like when somebody calls you who hasn't called you in a while, and you're like, what's this all about? And like, hey, so how's everything? By the way, just out of the blue, how are your knives, your kitchen knives? Are, are they sharp, dull? You, you're like, Cutco. Oh, my gosh. So I don't hear from you for like six years, and suddenly you're interested in the dullness of my kitchen knife set. Or they say, you know, 
your, your house smells so chemically and you see, you get the idea. Like, that bag, does it really, is it sturdy? Do, you're, you have some wrinkles here and you're noticing they're observing you, but it's only so they can make a pitch. I don't think anybody enjoys the feeling of being sold. I don't like it and I don't enjoy doing it to other people. So I don't think the, the heart and spirit of life-changing conversations is how do I find an inn so I can make the close of the sale? It's how do I see people? So that the people around me that I'm trying to share Christ with are people I actually see. I'm not seeing through them. I'm actually seeing them. Do I even know how to have a conversation with another human being that creates a genuine human connection between us? Jesus is entering town. He's approaching the city of Jericho. And at this stage of his ministry, he's still drawing large crowds. People still dig him. And so before he enters any city, word of his approach always precedes him. And people go, hey, that dude Jesus, the, the carpenter guy from, from Galilee is coming. And let's all check it out. They didn't have TV in those days, so it didn't take much to get people riled up. And when a noteworthy teacher is coming into town... They lined the streets just to see him and maybe hear something he had to say. I think some of the people also heard the rumors that this guy's controversial. He says crazy, whacked out stuff that gets all our priests really angry. And, you know, if you, if you are a religious person, you kind of like it when your priests get a little angry because they're stuffy and stodgy, make you feel guilty. Let's, let's agitate them a little bit. And so Jesus was a revolutionary. And as he's coming into town, the people are already several people deep just lining the streets. Now, if you put yourself in Jesus' place, think about this scene from his vantage point. He's approaching town. Everyone's there to see him and to hear him. But there's this little guy named Zacchaeus who's very unpopular in town. And he's so short, he's like, I want to see this guy, man. I can't, these people are so tall. And he can't see anything. Any of you relate to that? I, I can kind of relate to that. I've had to move seats in the movie theater because some tall dude decided to sit right in front of me. All the popcorn being thrown in the back of his head doesn't give him the clue. And so Zacchaeus decides, look, I really want to check this dude out. I don't know if even Zacchaeus understood what a hunger he had for something. This guy was upset in his spirit. You could see it. And so he goes, I know only little kids climb trees, but who cares? I have to see. So he climbs a sycamore tree, and he's perched in the branches, peeking out through the leaves. And picture the scene, because Jesus reaches the spot, and for some reason he looks up. And if I were Zacchaeus trying to stay hidden, just like be a very quiet, private, I just want to look at him. And the guy looks right up at you. That's creepy. You're like, hey, <laughs> look away. I ain't trying to draw attention to myself. I'm a little man, a grown man in a tree. I, I would just love to see Kevin Hart play this role of Zacchaeus in the movie. You could picture, I am a grown man, a grown little man in a tree. I ain't trying to get people to see me right now. And there's Jesus going, hold up, hold up. Hey, isn't your name Zacchaeus? He's like, Come down here from that tree, little man. I want to stay at your house tonight. Now, here's what's amazing to me about that whole encounter. All eyes are on Jesus, but where are his eyes? See, when all eyes are on me, my eyes are also on me. I went to play basketball at AFC this past Tuesday. I haven't gone in a long time. And 
uh, usually I play one game, I, our team loses because of me, and then I just go home after sitting for like an hour. So that's pretty much what I was prepared to do, and we just kept winning. We won like five games in a row. That's never happened to me in 20 years of playing at that gym. There was one game where it was right down to the wire, and we were running on a fast break, and we get down to the other end of the court, and I'm at the three-point line. Somebody passes me the ball, and all the guys on the side, they're like going, Terry Porter, which is my nickname, because Terry Porter is the oldest dude playing in the NBA way back in the day. And they're all staring at me like, shoot it, put it up. And I just felt like that moment, the entire universe centered on me. It was one of those moments where either it's going to be glorious or I'm going to look like a complete doofus. And I spotted up and I shot. And of course I made it. I mean, <laughs> ended the game with a three, whatever. You know, just another day in my life. But <clears throat> here's the thing. When all eyes were on me, if Shaq himself were under the hoop waiting, posting up, I wouldn't have seen him. At that moment, when everyone else was looking at me, the only thing I was thinking of is, fool, you better make this shot. They are all here for you. Now, if there had been a guy on our team who had been running hard, hustling up and down the court, and had never once been, been given a chance to shoot, there's a sense in which on a normal moment, I would want to get him the ball just to make it fair. But in that moment, it was weird. All I saw was myself. And that's why I marvel at the fact that Jesus is walking into town and a parade route has been set up, but he is scanning the crowd to see who's there. And he spots a little guy poking his eyes through the foliage of a tree. You can't just be casually looking to spot something like that. I really love the fact that no matter what is going on, Jesus is looking for people. He does not see crowds. He sees human beings. And I think the first aspect of really noticing people is looking at the world around you. Pick your head up, take them away from the mirror, and look around. You would be amazed if you really pay attention. You'd be amazed at what you notice about the people around you. The person you always thought was really happy, smiling, one day you look and you go, the mouth is smiling, but the eyes are dying. Have you ever, it's a very almost creepy feeling when you see someone smile with their mouth, but are dying with their eyes. I've seen it a number of times, and it always throws me off, because when I usually look at people, I just see the smile and go, good, cool, they're all right. But when you really look, the eyes don't lie. And I wonder if it's possible that someone we know is dying a slow death right under our noses and nobody has seen past the smile on their mouth to realize that inside they are terribly alone and about to lose it. So I want to invite you to make this a way of life. Start to look up and look around you and really pay attention to the people who come in and out of your life. I think you'll be amazed when you finally really start to look what you'll notice about the people you thought you knew. Let me give you a second thing here. And that is this idea that mission, knowing what you're looking for, knowing why you look around at all, adds so much to this act, this art of noticing people around you. One of my favorite movies is The Bourne Identity. 
Do you remember that great scene in the beginning of the first one where um, he's sitting at the diner with that girl and he's starting to realize he's got all these superpowers? Do you remember that conversation? He says to her, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and that the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know that the best place to look for a gun is in the cab of the gray pickup truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for half a mile before my hands start shaking. Why would I know that? He's freaking out because without even trying, he's reading everything. He's checking out exit points and sight lines. It's not even something he tries to do. It's something he can't help doing. And he doesn't remember how all this came to be. Remember that time he beat up the two cops? He goes, how is this even? You can see it in his face. He's beating the guys up. He goes, what is going on? He's got so much training, but he doesn't remember how it got there. Now, I wish I had Jason Bourne levels of contextual awareness. That I could walk into a room and see everything. But the truth is, it's not a natural skill for us to notice anything really around us. When Jason Bourne was trained to do that, it wasn't a parlor trick. It wasn't so he could pick up chicks going, um, I could tell your waitress is left-handed and that guy. Wow. Can you be my boyfriend? It wasn't for that purpose that he was being trained. It was a matter of survival for him. He was on missions all the time where real bad guys wanted to do him harm so that knowing where to find a gun, knowing how fast you can run at different altitudes, that's important information because it had relevance to the mission he was on. And I I really think it's important to recognize that telling people to do certain things over and over doesn't produce motivation unless you attach it to a sense of purpose. We say to people, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, but why? I'd rather read the Hunger Games. It's more exciting. Say, pray, pray, pray. Talk to God. I'd rather talk to my friend at Starbucks. He talks back to me. We tell people to do all these things, but we're not always sure why we should be doing them at all. See, if I tell you, go out and notice the people around you, but we don't remind you of your mission, you're just going to notice a lot of things around you. Jesus Christ was very unambiguous about his life's mission. At the end of this passage, as everyone's marveling that Zacchaeus, the worst guy in town, has just become spiritual, Jesus says to the people gathered around, why is this so surprising to you? For me, my whole life's mission is to seek and save people who are lost. I think what Jesus was saying is, no matter what the setting is, who I'm with or what I'm doing, I am never confused about what the real goal is for my life. I may be playing ultimate frisbee. I may be cooking a Reuben sandwich. I may be sampling wine on a vineyard tour. It doesn't matter what I'm doing, wherever I am, whoever I am with. I only really have one mission in this world. And if you think about it, your most central, deepest held mission is what drives your eyes everywhere. If you are a nutrition and fitness nut, everybody you see, you notice, wow, you got 
this pallid skin and you got a little bit around the middle. And I noticed as I'm hanging out with you, you only eat stuff with the refined sugar and it's so distracting. I can't notice anything else you're saying because your diet is like slow suicide. I can't do it. I can't watch it because that's your mission. My good friend Derek, who straightens half my family's teeth, I got to imagine you can't meet anyone, Derek, and not notice her smile, right? If somebody smiles, you're like, like, oh, Lord, I want to fix those teeth so bad. I understand that. Whatever your real mission is, it drives you, doesn't it? It drives you. If you're a physical trainer, man, you're always trying to get people fit. If you're a financial advisor, you're always asking, are you ready for retirement? Um, You know, it's just how we are. What our mission is drives what we see, what we notice in other people. When Jesus was clear about his mission, he understood this. There really are only two kinds of people on this earth. People who know me and are saved. And people who don't know me and are doomed. And my mission is to find those doomed people. And introduce myself to them. And save them. They won't look for me, so I'm going to go and find them. And so that's why he scans the streets. That's why he looks at the audience. Because he's not an anthropologist. He's not just making observations about people. But his whole mission is to find lost people and give them hope. C.S. Lewis, in his great essay, The Weight of Glory, wrote these powerful words. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Now, if it's been a while since you've been in school and reading stuff like that gives you a headache, let's just break it down to simple language. Every human being you meet is an immortal, everlasting, eternal being. They will never cease to exist. Who remembers the Roman Empire except in movies and in books? Civilizations that we thought would run the world forever are gone and forgotten, but every human being that has ever been born is still in existence today. We are by nature eternal, immortal beings so that everybody you walk past in the street, that cashier whose face you don't even look at at the store, that is an eternal, everlasting, immortal being. The person you cut off on the road or who cuts you off and you give him the bird, that person is immortal. And what C.S. Lewis is saying is there's only two destinies for these immortal beings. Either they will be, what does he say, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Here's how I interpret that. I think that every encounter we have with another human being, we will make one of three possible impacts, okay? We will either have a positive impact on that person in our time together and nudge their lives more towards eternity with God. Or we will have a negative impact on that person. For many people who are far from God, the reason they're far from God is because some Christian turned them off. 
They didn't lose God all on their own. They were pushed away by the hypocrisy of a person who had no idea how to do this. And so sometimes we can have an intersection with someone and even not doing good. We do harm. Our conduct, our hypocrisy, our words actually damage them and nudge them towards a life away from God, towards condemnation. Or very commonly, the third possibility is we can have no impact whatsoever. We could just steer clear of them, leave them on the course they were already headed, have an absolutely unforgettable encounter with another human being. I think the reason C.S. Lewis wrote these words is to remind us every encounter we have is with someone who will live forever. And so there's a potential there for every encounter to make an eternal impact on somebody else. Sometimes a meal is just a meal. Let's be real, okay? Sometimes it was just three pancakes, some great syrup, and some chit-chat. And the truth is, sometimes that's enough, all right? But sometimes that meal, that conversation, could be the start of somebody's whole life changing. I've had the privilege, as many of you have, of sitting in such conversations where you know in your heart today at this moment over this table that person's life just changed forever. They understood something that they were blind to for their whole life until this moment, and now they begin to see. There's a song by Brandon Heath that I really, really love. It's, uh, it's in fact, one of my favorite Christian songs. If we can get that track playing. And I want to share with you some of the lyrics from that song. It's a song called Give Me Your Eyes. Give me your eyes. I'm not going to sing it, so don't be alarmed. I just wanted you to hear the background of the song because it's a song that he wrote when he was landing from another city. He was on an airplane looking down at his own home city. That's the, why are we playing the version of the words? I sent you the instrumental, didn't I? guess not. So he's, he's in an airplane... And he's looking down at the city lights, and from that view, he realizes it's a city full of people walking around in pain, and it occurs to him, from this height, everyone looks like ants, but when I get down there, they are real people. They resolve into real lives. And how is it that even when I'm on the ground, I treat people like they're ants, look down from a mile high? So he says these words. Step out on a busy street, see a girl in our eyes meet. Does her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right, black suit and a bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife. He's out of work, he's buying time. And this is his cry out to God, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. That's really the cry of our hearts, isn't it? You can cut the song. You're going to walk past a thousand strangers and see nothing. 
But if you really start to look, if Jesus will lend you his eyes, even for a second, you might see something you didn't see before. This past week, I was in a pastor's group, and we were praying, and I was sharing a prayer request. I won't share the details, but I will say this. I was praying about my own discontent with the relationship. When as somebody laid their hands on my neck and began, I just began to pray, I was jolted by a moment where I can't describe it any other way. I was transported into that other person's heart. I know that sounds really weird and mystical. I don't know any other way to describe it. I was transported to their heart so that I didn't just understand what this person was thinking and feeling. I actually felt the weight of it in my own heart. And it shook me, and I shared it with that person, and it really began to change the nature of our relationship. In just one second, Jesus downloaded something to me that this person could not communicate for maybe years. Just one second of borrowing Jesus' eyes produced a supernatural insight I can't even describe to you in words. When I say we should sing with Brandon Heath, give me your eyes, I'm not just saying, I train me to see stuff. I mean, give me your eyes. When I see this other person I'm so used to seeing, make me see something, I feel something that I just cannot explain through human means. Something that will move my spirit to compassion. I'm encouraged that though I'm not born with a natural Jason born like awareness of others and of my surroundings, it's something I can grow in if I practice it. It's something that if I pray for it, Jesus will give me, and he'll give it to you as well. And let me wrap up with one last point, and I'll set it up with a video, that when we see something, we also must do something. Guys, can you play that, that second video? And let's just check this out. in the middle of a busy shopping center looking scared and alone so would you stop to see if she's okay well more than 600 people didn't as part of a tv experiment two little girls were left alone on a london street to test the public's reaction to lost children in the space of an hour only one person stopped to see if the child needed help while 616 walked on by Seven-year-old Uma was taken to Victoria Place shopping centre next to Victoria Station and left on her own, but with tight security around her. Right, I've got a whole cluster of people. It's so hard to watch people just walk by and ignore her. Her five-year-old sister, Maya, also takes part in the experiment, and at one stage a couple find her in their path and simply walk either side without stopping. Their mother, who watched from a short distance away, says it was shocking and heartbreaking to watch so many people ignore her children when they were clearly alone and vulnerable. The experiment has highlighted the fact that many people now feel too scared of other people's perceptions to stop to help a young person. But the NSPCC says an adult's responsibility to protect a child should supersede these concerns. Little Girl Lost, a Police 5 special, airs on Tuesday the 25th of March at 6.30pm on Channel 5. At first I'm like, how come those two women hiding behind the counter don't help the girls? I realize they're part of the experiment. It was a girl's mother. And that had to be hard to watch because if you have kids and you think if my kids get lost, I'm sure people would help them. 
After watching that, I'm not so sure anymore. See, the purpose of that video is to show you there's not a person walking past those girls who didn't notice them. You can't not notice a human being standing in your path. In fact, some people even went like this. Let's walk right around that little girl. She's an obstacle. Just noticing something isn't enough. Whenever you're at the airport, they always say to you, if you see something, say something, right? If you see something, do something. Observing alone isn't good enough. Because anybody can see something. But the reason Jesus opens our eyes is not just to add another notch to our storyline. He wants us to do something. That's why he directs our eyes to see something. You know, Jesus stops at that spot where Zacchaeus is. And I think two things could have happened at that moment. One would be, if I were Jesus, here's how it might have played out. Are those eyes looking at me through that foliage? Why is that guy so short? Dude, that's weird. And then just walk on. And later on that evening around the campfire, I would have regaled my Dudes, dudes, hold on. What a great night of ministry. But check it out. When we're walking to Jericho, I'm like looking around at the crowds. I look up at the sycamore fig tree, and I freaked out. There's this little dude just creepy. He's just sitting there like a gnome looking down at me, and I totally freaked out. That was weird. And everyone's like, really? How come you didn't point it out? I, I, we're busy. We're heading to town. I didn't want to stop. But man, what a story. Is that why Jesus lets us see things? So that we have a great story to tell other people? Have you ever had a situation where you're like, dude, I was driving back to, the, to home from the office, and I saw this guy. He had a flat tire, and the dummy left his house in just shorts and a T-shirt. He was freezing out there. Plan ahead, buddy. It's winter time. You weren't counting on a flat tire, were you? And I'm telling this story, by the way, to my great shame. That's a national story from your pastor's life. If you leave the church, I'll understand. I'm telling the story about how this dummy didn't plan. And one person goes, do you stop to help me? You had a coat. And I was like, keep my big mouth shut. Do you think I was allowed to see that? To drive past that particular road at that particular hour just so I can collect another great story to tell all my dudes so they could help make fun of this guy who didn't have the foresight to wear a coat in the winter? Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and he doesn't just store away another interesting story. He forces an encounter with this guy because he can tell this guy wants very badly to have an encounter with him. And so from that moment, he calls him out, makes him come down from the tree, and they have a public discourse right in front of everybody. And Zacchaeus has a long-awaited moment of coming clean of repenting and of making things right. Zacchaeus was a guy who made his living very dishonestly. And when you do that, no one else has to tell you, you are a total jerk. Everything you do makes people hate you and you're evil. Sure, you can enjoy your your brand new Lexus camel and your fine clothing, your Armani turbans and all that. But at the end of the day, everyone hates you and you are a dishonest, wicked human being. And the weight of that presses down on the human soul. 
And Zacchaeus, not knowing where to put it, still felt the weight of it. He needed to get this off his chest. That's why when Jesus opens the door, he immediately volunteers, I will pay back everything I've stolen. I can't walk around with this pressure anymore. Someone needed to give him that invitation, and it burst out of him right there on the spot in public. Sometimes you say stuff in public you wish you hadn't, like, I'm going to run a marathon, you know, and you're like, oh, if I had just kept it to myself, now I wouldn't look like such a donkey when I chicken out. But you know what? When you say it publicly, there's great power in that too. And it's like this thing that needed to come out has now burst forth, hasn't it? And Zacchaeus publicly declares, I believe, and I have needed this moment all my life. And it all starts with Jesus noticing a pair of eyes peeking out at him through the branches. But he didn't just notice those eyes. He called that person down to him, and he engaged him. And this is the beautiful testimony in verse 9, that today salvation came to Zacchaeus and his household because of that encounter that he had with Jesus. Let me close by giving you a couple quick practical life applications. How you can begin to grow in this art of noticing the people around you. And the reason we notice is because when you notice something, it will give you the right questions to ask to engage the person further, to really get to know this other person. The first practical life application is prepare to take notice. Prepare to take notice. What I really mean by that is pray that before every encounter, every meeting, every cocktail party, even as you wake up in the morning, just say, God, today I'm going to come across a lot of people. And if I'm just like everybody else, I'll be stressed out thinking, what interesting little tidbit can I pull up? What trivial thing can I bring up so that I can add to the conversation? We can all have a good laugh and say, wow, he's a brilliant conversationalist. That was so interesting. We got to have them back pretty soon. You know, we're all thinking that way, right? Like, I want to add to the party. I want to make my contribution. What do I talk about? So some of us go online and we, we research interesting news stories and go, all right, if there's a law, I'm going to go, hey, did anybody hear about, you know, isn't that how we're always thinking? How can I look good in an encounter? But if you pray this way, what you can say simply to God is, I'm going to run across a lot of people and some of them are going to be dying inside, just so hungry for something more. Their eyes will give it away. Their body language will give it away. Their energy level or posture, whatever it is, at some point they're going to indicate to me that not all is well in their heart. And if I come across a person who needs more than chit-chat, God, wake up my spirit at that moment to see this is one of those moments where I need to stop talking about the bulls and really look at this person. If we don't pray, it's very likely we will never be alerted to those moments. So it begins with prayer to ask God to make you vigilant in your spirit so that even when your mind's not paying attention, your spirit is very much alive and he will nudge you and say, hey, shh, stop. Cut it out with the small talk now. Look at the person sitting in front of you. Look at their eyes. They don't need this conversation. They need another one. And if you prepare to have those encounters, to take notice, Jesus will open your eyes. Here's a second life application. is practice taking notice. The next time you're with people, make it a habit 
to not just think about what you're going to say next, but really look at the person. Don't be all creepy. Be like, you know, like, that's a little awkward. I'm not asking you to become a socially weird person, but I'm saying make it your practice to try to observe where this person really is. As you're sharing, don't just listen to the laughter and the words, but pay attention to the mood. Pay attention to the perspective from which they're, they're speaking. Look at the body language. Some people, they will be very like this or turned away from you. They'll be slumped over. And even if the words you're sharing are lively, their body language will often tell you they're feeling not safe. Or they're feeling dejected or closed off. And if you notice something, if you've already prayed it up and you notice something, here's how you're going to know. Very often in your heart, inside, there will be this powerful nudge. Go say something. And you want to, you know, you notice like the kid on the bench or those little girls. Some people wanted to walk by. And what did the announcer say? People were too worried about the negative image they might have if it's somebody's daughter and you approach them. What if that girl's mom was just window shopping right over there and you're like, hey, little girl, are you lost? And they're like, pedophile, get away from my kid. They didn't want to get involved because they were afraid of what might happen. But if you've prayed it up, once in a while you're going to get a nudge in your heart. It's going to bother you, and you're going to feel this tremendous need to get involved, and that'll be the Holy Spirit very often prompting you to do more than observe. You've all felt it. Maybe you're at a restaurant, and you're having a great time, good food, good friends, but you notice on the peripheral that something's not quite right with your server. They're not just surly. They look depressed. Something's not right. Their energy level's all off. And you feel it like you're trying to have a good time with your friends. But this person clearly is not in the right place. And something is bothering you and nudging you in your spirit. And you're tempted to to ask. I think part of the practice of noticing is just to say, look, I feel it very strongly. I trust this nudging because I've prayed for every encounter that I might have today. And so take a risk and just say, hey, excuse me. What's your name? Jean? I notice you look a little distracted, a little like you're, you're somewhere else. Are you okay? Is everything all right? Now, some of you, I've been out with you socially, and you're so good at doing this naturally. I watch you do it. I'm like, I hope I could do it as smooth as they did because it just looks so Hey, Hey, sweetie, come here. You're all right, dear, because uh, you look really distracted. Is everything okay? Can I pray for you? By I just watch them do it and go, how do you just do that without scaring people away? But I really feel like if we pray in advance, and we notice something and God nudges our heart, if you open your mouth to speak, sometimes you will be blown away by the response the other person gives you. I've had those moments, and it scares me. In fact, sometimes the person sits down at the table, and you're like, I didn't want all that. I was just concerned for you. But they start pouring out their hearts, and all of a sudden, you're counseling somebody right there at a Denny's. And it all happens because you noticed something was off and you said something. For some of us, that's a horrifying scenario. <laughs> but asking a stranger how they're doing, that's totally wrong. And I understand the discomfort. I'm an extrovert, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm uncomfortable doing stuff like that. But I'm not preaching the sermon just so we learn more. 
I'm preaching the sermon in the hopes that the Holy Spirit will begin to stir our hearts about this. So as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to make this one commitment. Pray that today, until the time you go to bed, God will prepare your heart to take notice in every encounter you're going to have. That your goal will not be to be a brilliant conversationalist or the life of the party, but that your goal will be to see the people who are right in front of you. And that if there's something you really need to take notice of, that the Holy Spirit will alert you to it and will bother your spirit until you acknowledge it. Would you pray that simple prayer? Because some of you are going to stop somewhere for lunch today. There's going to be a real human being serving your table. You're going to have your children in the car. And maybe you haven't really looked at your kid's countenance in a very long time. Would you pray with me right now that every encounter you have for the rest of this day, that if there's something you need to see, God will show you. And that if you see it, he will give you the faith and the courage to say or do something. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.